blast from our past network. This week on Talking Back, we meet Saya, the embarrassed, a tired human. Talking Back. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host Tim, and with me is co-host Dean. Hello. We what are we talking about today, Tim? Yeah, we are talking about Deadly Class Volume 5. We're going to continue on with this amazing series that we love awesome. and that we love getting back to. It's always a great time to get back to this. Hey, Dean, guess what? Oh, what, Tim? We love comics. We love comics. Hello, my name's Dean, and I love comics. Yeah, yeah. I am a comicholic. Yeah, love it. Yes, love, love doing the comic episodes and love kind of progressing along um, a certain uh, series and, and being able to dig, you know, real deep into it. We're, we're at volume five here. We've come a long way and it's, uh, it's still a lot of fun. So we're still doing it. Yeah, I actually, a problem I kind of have sometimes with comics is that when I was buying them issue by issue, I wouldn't finish out series. And like when I buy them by volumes, I end up doing that. I end up finishing series. But this was one of them that I just never got to the end, even though I absolutely loved it. So I love that we are going through this thing because I never made it through on my own. Yeah, we're doing it now. Um, this is written by Rick Remender. And if um, somebody listening doesn't know our thoughts on Rick Remender yet, then you need to go back and listen to some of the previous Deadly Class episodes mm -hmm. where we laid out for you. Art by Wes Craig. And Colors by Jordan Boyd. Now, one of the listeners, Dean, thought that it would be interesting if we would talk about the covers of the issues, which we haven't really touched on. Yeah, it's a great idea. I think one of the reasons we didn't really touch on it was because we're reading the volumes. So yeah. the covers are included um, usually at the end of the volume, uh, but there's also like um, variants in there as well so mm -hmm. it's a little bit tough to follow exactly what the covers are so we haven't really said much about it but um yeah the listener thought it would be cool to talk about because the listener really really enjoyed the covers and thought um they were worth uh, getting into so uh shout out to boomer bats for for suggesting this idea and we're going to talk about the covers a little bit so to catch up in like a really quick way let's just say our favorite cover and talk a little bit about it from each volume. For volume one, Dean, why don't you go ahead and just tell me what your favorite cover was and what you liked about it. And I'm really curious to see if we like double up on some of these covers. Yeah, that'll be interesting. A lot of mine, while I go through them all, a lot of mine are kind of similar. Um, so I, there's like just a thing that I really like, I think about, uh, about all, all the volumes, like there's certain covers in there, um, that I like, but yeah, I, th I think this is, I just want to say, I think this is a great idea because I think covers are such a huge thing in comics. They're like, when I walk into a comic shop and I'm buying like a week, uh, a weekly or monthly comic that covers the thing that's going to make me want to buy something new. So I think it's really important that we do touch on these covers. I like that you said that because that's kind of what I was basing my opinions on here is I was like, Perfect. which cover is going to make it stick out on the shelf for me and make me grab it. So yeah. yeah, that's the, yeah, that's what I went with as the, the prerequisite. Yeah. So for the first volume, I went with issue two. 
um, which is uh, Marcus is uh, standing on the cover and uh, like standing on the front and he's in pink. Like his color is all sort of pink and just black. Like his coat is black and his pants are black, but everything else is pink. And then the background is very light blue. And there's sort of some faces of his enemies in the background. And I really, he's like holding a matchbook and one of the matches is lit. Um, He has like, uh, you can kind of see like there's a circle around his heart and it's got a little arrow through it. And then there's another sort of circle on on the cover where he has thrown the matchbook. So you just kind of know like, there's there's a lot of things going on in this in this book about Marcus and it's sort of all told right on the cover. This would make me go and grab it and just really be interested that we're going to dig into, you know, all these people in the background of Marcus, all these people in his life, but then also he looks like he is doing so he's setting something on fire in the front. Cool. Um that's a good choice. I went with issue 3 which has it's it's mostly red it's it's red white and black those are your colors so mostly red so it really pops now you've got willie and marcus jumping from one rooftop to another rooftop and they are kind of framed um correctly like they're kind of um perfectly horizontal and then the background of the buildings is like tilted so it's off angle. The text mm. is off angle, but Marcus and Billy are kind of on angle and just um, the way they should be. And uh, Willie, one of his Willie's shoes is falling off and it doesn't, they're, they're in between these two, two buildings, like um, leaping in between the two buildings. And it looks like Willie's going to make it to the building. It doesn't even look like Marcus might make it, but I think just the, the color, the color scheme on this one and the interest of what they're doing um that that's what got got me in volume one yeah totally so what's your two uh volume or do you, two or do you want to issue... do you want to snake it what's it called snake Ooh, yeah let's snake it goes back to you and then bit to me is it called snaking it yeah S- yeah snaking it snake okay snake it so yeah, back you to nailed me it. so volume two i'm going with issue 11 now issue 11 has like a yellow background and then marcus is in the foreground Again, wearing some pink, and his face is like colored pink. His arms are pink, but his shirt is black. And he's got a baseball bat, and it looks like he's about to hit us with it. He looks very upset. And then off to the corner in the bottom left is Maria with her fan of death. And she's she's got Marcus's back. It looks like if he doesn't kill us, then she will. And again, the Deadly Class title and... The artist and writer names are all kind of tilted on this angle. It's very oh. dynamic, very interesting. And they're actually, um, the the deadly class uh, tilting of the text is in line with the angle of his baseball bat. So it's very, oh, it's awesome. a very nice, um, like designed piece. So yeah. I went with that one. Very contrasting colors, very dynamic, uh, big and small things happening. Love that one. Cool. Well, we haven't matched up yet because uh, I'm going to go with number eight. And issue eight is um, Marcus is in the middle and he's it's kind of the same colors you were talking about. Uh, It's the yellow and the pink. But Marcus is the yellow and the pink is sort of the background stuff going on. And Marcus has been split in half with just a line going down the middle of the cover. And it ends up that the line ends up being a heart at the bottom of the cover and then you have maria on the one side you have saya on the other side and it's just showing like marcus's 
you know, trouble that he's having stuck between these two girls. He's split right down the middle of whether he wants to go with Maria or whether he wants to go with Seiya. And like both Maria and Seiya look like badasses in the background. And he, yeah, he's just kind of walking at at you looking looking at the cover. And it's uh, pretty badass. I love it. Nice. Okay, so since we're snaking it, um, this is probably the simplest cover I have, and that is going to be issue 13 from volume number three. And that is simply just a mask of, I guess I guess it's it's not really Maria's face because she does the face paint, but it's the same sort of um, mask that she would have painted on her face. And it's just all black background, it just says Deadly Class in red at the front, at, or at the top, and then the mask is just in white. Mm-hmm. I did like that one, yeah. I like that you could tell right away it was Maria, but you're yeah. right, there is no paint. It's just you, there's some other so subtle wonder, things you have to you have to pull from it, but you can tell right away it's Maria. Yeah, it could even be her just coming out of the shadow. Now that I think about it, mm. it could it, not necessarily that it's a mask, but her white face paint is all that you see once she starts coming out of the shadow. I think that's what it could be. Right. Yeah, it's cool. Um, we have yet to match, as my favorite was issue 15, where we have Seiya, a, a small Seiya in the bottom right-hand corner. The background is all white, the text is red, and she's just running running towards us with her sword out. I think this one, I really liked the tattoo work on her. We've talked about it before, how intricate the uh, the art is for her tattoos and anytime i see her tattoos on the page i just think my goodness how long that must have taken to do so Mm -hmm. i have like such respect for that and what i also like this is this is what pushed me over the edge is the use of negative space where the background is white and um her face is white she's got like a, a white wristband on and all of that stuff kind of fades into the background because the background's white. So some of her right. is actually disappearing, which we're used to with her in the shadows. But this is like it's her in the light. And some of her, even in the light, it's almost like she can sort of camouflage herself. And uh, it's I, I like this one. This is my fave for this one, for volume three. Yeah. So. I like that one too. That one was really close for me. That was like the, uh, the top two I was trying to get uh, figured out there. Okay, now volume four. This mm-hmm. was my toughest my toughest yeah. um, choice. So I'm going to give you the one I chose and then I'm going to give you my honorable mention. Perfect. But I went with issue number 20. Again, it's these like, it's these colors that just shock you. It's it's these shocking cover color, colors. So the background's all black and you've got this weird like lightning bolt or like upside down building all in yellow coming in from the side and it looks like it's chasing Marcus, and he's very small in the corner. Again, the deadly class text is very large, but um, the the de- the word deadly is against the yellow background, and deadly is in black. And then the class is against a black background, and the class is in yellow. So this one's only like two tone, except for Marcus, who's got a few other colors. But again, very dynamic. Like there's a very nice angle going on. Marcus is running away down the same angle. This time, Deadly Class is is completely, perfectly horizontal. It's not on an angle, but everything else is on an angle. So it seems like uh, Wes Craig um, is doing a lot of work with something needs to be on an angle and something needs to be perfectly horizontal, and he'll switch it up. He'll choose what should be what, just depending on what he feels like doing that day. So 
Um, this was the one that I thought would just, if I was at the store, even though I don't understand anything from this cover, this cover is, yeah. it doesn't mean anything, but it looks so cool that I would just want it on my, want it on my shelf. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually my first pick, but then I changed it. Okay. Um, you changed so it what's, to what's number. What's honorable mention? You changed it to number 17. No. Oh, really? Okay, never I mind then. I changed it to 19. Okay, what's 19? I forget. So 19, there's a lot of like darkness coming up from the bottom of the cover, and it looks like it's a bit swirling, so it looks like it could be smoke, something like that. Um, but it's very, very dark. Um, it's coming up in kind of like wisp, yeah, wispy circles, but also kind of straight lines. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it has Marcus and Billy and um, Petra jumping into that blackness and that's all you don't know where they jumped from you don't know where they're jumping to but they are in sort of a hot pink and they all have weapons they have all their weapons like uh, marcus has a bat petra has her um her like chemicals that she's she's making her bombs out of billy has a crowbar and they are all jumping into that darkness and uh yeah i just i really like that image that idea that everything sort of surrounding them is going to be bad, but they're going right into it. Like they, they have to go into it. They have to go head first into it. Right. Cool. Well, yeah, yeah my honorable mention was uh, number 17. It was Master Lin, a big picture of Master Lin. Oh, yeah. Which turned me off right away. But as I studied the picture, <laughs> he's in the foreground, but the majority of the background is just a murder scene. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's um, the final exam. And there's probably 40 or 50 like students in the background killing each other. And there's dead bodies everywhere and blood spraying. And I didn't notice it at first because all you see is Master Lin. And, and you totally. see that and you're like, oh, there's that piece of shit. And, but if yeah. you study it and you look more, it's like it's so elaborate. But f- for my like prerequisite, that, that wasn't going to do it. Because if I see that on a shelf, I see Master Lin... And I think it doesn't make enough sense to me to to just oh, grab yeah. it off the shelf. Yeah. So that's why I went with the other one, which was just more vibrant, more kind of like shocking right off the bat. So yeah, that was the same way with that one, man. I just just skip by it right away. You know, that's not going to be in the running. But when I got back to it, I was like, oh, this one's actually pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I see, I see your I see your point on that one. Yeah. So uh, it's me, right? Is it me? Yeah. Are we doing volume five right now? Yeah, we'll do volume five right now. Volume five right now? Okay, then it's me, I think. If we're snaking, it's me. Okay, go ahead. So I went with... Should we do volume five I right went... now or not? No, let's do it at the end. Yeah, okay. I think yeah. we... Maybe maybe we match covers on this one then. Maybe. <laughs> no, I actually don't think we did. I don't think we did because I can say mine right now. <laughs> okay, let's save it. You're going to have to remember yeah. though. Are you going to rem- okay. remember? I'll do my best. I'll do my best, Tim. We're, we're 100%. 100% we're going to forget. There's always the apology <laughs> section of our podcast we can bring back. There's always next time, right? There's always next time. We can just double it up we'll next time. We'll get them next time. Yeah. <laughs> Apologizing in advance, everybody. We forgot to do volume five. We forgot. We're sorry. We'll get it next time. Next time. You're going to get volume five and six. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. Yep. All right. All right. So moving on, Dean, we have to do a recap of volume four. Right? Perfect. We're going to let people know what they missed last episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which was a shitload of stuff. Uh, yeah, man. Here we go. It's time for the final exam. 
which means kill all the rats, and apparently anyone who's standing near them. Marcus and friends are running for their lives, hunted by all. Marcus pours his heart out to Billy, only to have Billy double-cross him. Willie breaks it off with Saya to be friends again with Marcus, only to be killed by Victor. Petra and Billy bond, only to have Petra melt him. Then Marcus, running from Victor, runs right into Saya's outstretched sword, and our main character of the series, Marcus, is left bleeding out on the street as he fades off into his own dreams. Yep. And not only Marcus, now gone, but a bunch of friends. Like, it's not even like we can just pick up with the crew and move on. Like, half the crew is gone or more right now. Yes, I really am fascinated by Remender's willingness to write Mm -hmm. people out of this story. I think it makes it such a more effective read because you don't know actually who's going to live or who's going to die. Like, this isn't the type of story where you're reading it and you're like, here's our main character, here's his group of friends, they just continue on through this story. At any moment in this book, your favorite character could get killed. For sure. And they do a great job of like, um, how should I say it? Like, they kind of like, after that happens, they pick you back up with new characters that they're introducing that you really like, which is kind of what happens in this volume. Uh, We just lost a bunch of key characters. So what happens now? They bring in new characters for us to kind of like fall in love with and, you know, have new favorites. So I just, I really appreciate that. You see that a lot on very, very, in my opinion, very, very like high end um, television programs where they're not afraid to get rid of a character and it makes Mm -hmm. things so much more impactful and they're doing it here. They're, they just, they, they do it. They go for it. Yeah, I agree. It was, I did not know where, where we were going to go after that because like we were just, uh, you know, we talk about Marcus so much in these first four volumes. Like it's just like, he's the center. He's the centerpiece of the whole thing. So it's like, I have no idea where I'm going to go from here. I have no idea what Remender is going to do. And will I like it? Like, I kind of know I'm going to like it, but Will I like it as much as I liked Marcus and as much as I liked Willie and the whole crew? And I think it succeeds. Obviously, we'll get into it, but I think it succeeds so well because these characters are so different and not just in a way where they are different people, but it's like it's a different feel. Uh, I think once we get into their characters, I'll, I'll kind of say what I mean, but I feel like that he sets up something different, a different tone to the book is set in this first in this like first volume without our main our main characters and i really really dug it and it you know like everything i read of his roped me right in Mm -hmm. yeah i completely agree with with everything you said but shame on me dean because when i was finishing off last volume where marcus dies i was wondering if maybe remender had like written himself into a corner Or maybe had checked out on this series. And uh, where do you go from here? And wow, was I wrong? Like, like, for all those reasons, like, they bring in these new characters that I immediately connect with for different reasons. Uh, You're right. The tone and atmosphere, completely different. And it totally works. And just such a great job. So, yeah, Tim, you could say you were, you, you could say you were dead wrong. 
I was deadly wrong. You were deadly wrong about that one. Go give me a ba ching over there. Give me one of them. <laughs> Just replay the sound beat we have <laughs> okay, from before. Okay. I know you play that after all my jokes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll pull it out someday. It'll be, it's a good yeah. sound clip. Okay, getting into the story. It is now 1988 at King's Dominion. And surprise, surprise, Dean. This book starts off with an amazing piece of narration. Which equals amazing writing from Remender. Of course. Now, Marcus has been our narrator throughout these volumes, but now he's yeah. dead. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the narrator now is Saya, but it really sounds like Marcus still. Like there's something very familiar about the words that are being said. And it goes like this it says, Master Lin welcomes a new class using that voice the one that mimics human warmth. Periodic farts of cringe-inducing feedback from the gym's old speaker system interrupt lies about the exciting curriculum, trials, tribulations, and new friendships they have to look forward to. He leaves out so many important details. He leaves out that he's the devil, a monster who will do whatever he has to do to twist you the fuck up, He hopes the returning sophomores had a nice summer. What he really means is that he hopes we've found a way of getting through the night. Okay. Okay. So, Tim, I got to I got to address this. So we we are at this prom thing, this homecoming, and you see just people dancing and stuff. And that's it. While this narration's going on, then the first character you see that, you know, other than Master Lin, because he's on the podium talking is Seiya. So I 100 percent. With her head down, just like sitting in the corner, I 100% was thinking this is Seiya's narration. And that is how I continued throughout the rest of the book. Are you saying you did not have that? You did not think it was Seiya right away? I'm. All I'm going to say is that yeah. I know Marcus's tone and yeah. the way that Remender writes him. And from that initial quote or this, this yeah. like narration that we get... It sounds to me like Marcus. In my head, I read it like Marcus. I don't know anybody else who talks like that. Like, they were such great companions in this book. Even though they fought and even though they, you know, whatever, had their differences, they were very similar. They were very aligned on a lot of things. But we've never really heard anybody else narrate something. So I think it's very interesting that that now we're hearing possibly Seiya doing this narration and she's yeah. kind of aligned with Marcus's thoughts and um, just talking the same way he did. But it does mm-hmm. sound just like Marcus. Interesting. Yeah, I just I just find it very interesting that you even said that because like I just 100% sitting until I sat down in this chair and you said that was 100% like Seiya was saying all those things. And then now that you bring it up and I'm flipping through, there is nothing that indicates that it was her saying those things. No. It was just me perceiving that because I see her sitting in that chair and I see her doing like you know, close up on her face, like a couple pages later, I just assumed it was her, but there is actually nothing that tells us that it was her. So that I like that. I like that point to point out that there's a narration going on and we think it's Seiya, but that doesn't mean it is. Right. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we are meeting um, a new class of students at an old fashioned high school dance at King's Dominion. (laughs) Great. Beautiful. (laughs) It's so much fun. It's hilarious, dude. It is, yeah. It's a very interesting change in pace from 
the atmosphere that we just got out of in the last volume. Uh, like a ball, a dance, everybody's just having fun, hanging out. And as I'm reading and learning about some of these new students, they're having conversations, they're being um, introduced to us, I slowly start to realize that we, the reader, um, have knowledge that these new students don't. And that knowledge is what the final exam is. Right. Right. So the the returning students and us know what this whole year is going to be about and what's going to happen. But these new kids have no idea. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like we're kind of in on the joke now. You know, yeah. It's kind of, it's, it, I just thought it was neat. It was neat. I think it's really cool. I think it's, it, and it's a definitely like a slowdown issue where this book does all these like really, really fast things, all this action, and then they take time to slow down, um, which is something that really reminds me. I'm a big like X-Men uh, comics fan, and it really reminds me of X-Men comics where they do a huge mission and then they just come back and they hang out at the manor. Like for one issue, all they're doing is hanging out like nothing happens. And I really love those. They give you like a chance to breathe, a chance to really learn about the characters and how they felt during that mission and how they feel going into the next one. And I feel like this is like this issue to open up after we've just like, you know, we've had all that action and everyone's so excited to get to the next issue to see exactly what happens next without Marcus. And we kind of start slow. We just take it easy and we work ourselves into it. And I just really, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Last volume, they threw in a couple of nice slowdown moments just when you needed it. But yeah. this volume is very, very different. This is very much more of like, almost like a restart. So yeah, it just starts, everything starts off again, very slow. But I, yeah, like you said, I think it was needed. Like, I think we needed just a bit of yeah. a cool down because you can't, you can't get much more action and violence happening. Right. And, and yeah. I don't think it would make sense either because final exam happened. So, I mean, what do you do after that? It's, it's a new school year now. So let's just go right to the new yeah. school year and start it over again. It's needed. And I think this book doesn't get into the sprint until right at the end. And then, you know, then we sprint at the end, but I feel like we don't even get there. Like the whole first four issues are just this building and building and building. Definitely. Um, I think you also need this type of, a um, like atmosphere and, um, um sp speed for the book for the returning students. And we don't necessarily mm. like all of the returning students, but look, they all graduated that first year, right? They are now excelled. They are now higher students than everybody else. So we need this opportunity to just see them as superiors as like the, the, the kids who were one year or two years above you in high school, like, why were they like, why did you like look up to them? You know, for me, I assume it's the same for everybody. People were almost like judged on what grade they were in. Like if you're in grade mm -hmm. nine, well, grade 10 is better than you. Grade 11 is better than them. And grade 12 is yep. better than them. So this gives us the chance to, to kind of see that and get those moments with them where they have um, grown and graduated and they're a year older, they're a year wiser and they get to kind of like look down on other people. So I think it's a time to develop those characters in an interesting way. Yeah. They've been there. They've done that. They have the experience and that's what gives them the edge. And that's what gives you the edge in high school too. You've been there. You've done that. You know, what's coming where you're just like a, if you're this uh, little like grade nine student or something, you're scared. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what's next, but the other people are comfortable in that situation because they've been there, done that. Yep. Um, yeah, which just sets up the dynamics of a high school, which is what we really appreciate also about the book. It's not just this action and this really cool idea. It actually feels like it is high school drama. It does, yeah, 100%.
So you mentioned we caught up with Saya already. I would like to just point out that Saya looks very depressed. She's very bummed yeah. out um, in appearance. Uh, we meet Petra, who's completely changed her look. Uh, and it appears she's completely lost her mind. Like, this, yeah. this girl, what happened to her? She uh, she won't stop smiling. She's just always smiling like a doll. She tells us she's processed everything and accepts that she's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Shabnam is still overeating. Grogda is on a diet, though. Yeah, Grogda looks good. Victor is laughing at the idea of him taking orders from Shabby and Grogda, where yeah. in the last volume he agreed to like a deal and a truce with them. Now he's laughing in their face to them, saying like, why would I ever, why would I ever do what you guys say? I thought that was neat. He's just like, F it was you guys. Neat I'm the most, I'm the most powerful guy. Screw you guys. Yeah. He basically says like, we had a deal for the end of last year. This is a new year deals off. Yeah. And we also see that Polly is still with Victor. Yes, it's nice to see Polly yeah, again. Yeah, everybody loves Polly. <laughs> everybody loves Polly. You know Polly. Everyone you know Polly. knows Polly. Everybody loves him. So Shabby gets to make the valedictorian speech. And, dude, this speech rocks. It's so good. Now, Shabby and Saya tied for valedictorian, they tell us. Right. Yeah. And Master Lin wanted Saya to do the speech. But she declines. She doesn't want to do it. She doesn't care about that shit. So Shabby gets to do it, and he's super excited. But Stephen gives him a truth serum before he yeah. goes up. That's <laughs> great. And I love that that's believable in this world because we know that they take classes where they're mixing poisons and serums and stuff like that. So it's 100% believable that Stephen knows how to like produce a cocktail, which is a truth serum. I was thinking the same thing, whereas like in a regular high school, you know, it would spike it with something else, but you're in this high school, you're in King's Dominion, so it's like, we I spiked it with truth serum, so he has to tell the truth. I 100% believed that he could create that serum. Yeah. So Shabby puts on a real show because of this truth serum. Great. <laughs> Basically, he just spews out all of his insecurities. He's, oh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. he's pushing uh, Grogda around. He's like getting physical with people, uh, makes a complete ass of himself. And it was so funny. It's such a such it a fun great. moment. It was really great. Once he started going, I was like, OK, yeah, yeah, I'm into this. Let's go. And he just he lets it all out there. He he leaves it all out there. Yeah. So next up, we actually move to Japan for the first time in this series. And we meet Kenji Kuroki. We quickly learn he's a heartless bastard, Dean. Yeah, he's a badass motherfucker, man. He's He is a heartless bastard. He kills an elderly man who's running a convenience store, and he does it in front of the guy's wife. And he makes it sound like this guy's late with some payments. Like He's just yeah. like, you're late with something. The guy's like, no, 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 I, I can pay, no problem. But I think what this guy was doing was just killing off all the older people in the business to try to open things up for himself. So I think he was making his way through anybody who had connections to his family business that was older than him because he wants to just take over. Right. Well, it, it also sounded like his, his father was the one who ran it before. Right. And his father would be okay with like the late payments and be okay with that. He would give him a little grace. But now that he's taken over and he's taken control, the son is, he needs to like put his foot down and make his mark and, you know, scare off everybody who thinks they can ever like cross him or be late with anything or whatever. He just wants to show his power. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the interesting thing about this um, scene in the book is that it ends off with uh, Kenji's servants saying they found his sister and his father's katana. Yeah. Both in the U.S., and both will be returned to him soon. And that he wants Seiya brought home. So yeah, that, that very cool. We're meeting, basically meeting Seiya's brother, and he is a legit badass just like her. Yeah, I love it. I love this setup. I love this uh, backstory kind of thing. Like, I, I know Seiya's not part of it, but just learning more, learning that she has this badass brother out there, and he's like on the lookout for her. Also like the idea that he wants to get his father's sword back. I love this idea that like these swords, these weapons are very meaningful and these weapons sort of mean like whoever holds this, you know, has power. Like it actually just means something to have a sword, like the, what this sword is. Um, so I love that they're building that as well. They're building, um, you know, all that all that history. Um, really, really great uh, just opening to that issue. Like that was just a couple pages and I was already like, oh, I love this already. Love this issue. Mm-hmm. One weird thing about it for me is that at King's Dominion, from what I understand, it's the, the parents are enrolling their kids in King's Dominion to have them become better assassins and like take over the family business. That doesn't seem like the case here. Just learning about this conversation, it sounds like she fleed Japan or did something wrong in Japan and her family's after her. It's a weird dynamic that doesn't seem to fit with everybody else's story. Like, True. why is um, she there? Yeah, so I don't really know about her parents. Um, like, I don't know why her brother is now taking over. I don't know if I quite picked that up. I may, It might have even said, like, did her father die? I don't think so. I it's just the brother now know. is has taken over. From the feeling I get about her brother, I'm going to guess maybe her brother killed the father even is a possibility. You know what? That is true because here's here's a part that uh, that I didn't quite understand, but actually makes sense if he killed the father. Was he just put out his sword and he wanted that old man at the convenience store to walk into it because that's the honorable death? Not that he stabs him, but that he walks into it. And the old man was, you know, he's just couldn't couldn't do it, couldn't walk into the sword, couldn't kill himself that way. And he said, "You you you're nothing like your father." And then. The son said, you remind, but you remind me of him and then stabbed mm. him. Like, so maybe he's oh, yeah. saying you remind me of him and stabbed him because he stabbed his father in the same way. Maybe he gave his, his father the same sort of, okay, walk into my blade because I'm better than you, but, you know, ended up stabbing him. I don't know. Yeah. I, it, it does bring up the question though. Like you said, like, why is Saya at that school? So maybe the parents sent her there. Um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah, it seems like, it seems like her brother was not down with that. What if Master Lin is Seiya's grandfather? Didn't you already say this? Yeah. Didn't, we, didn't we already do this? <laughs> yeah, that was like one if, of our what ifs, yeah. <laughs> Roll the what if music. Bring it back out. I'm just, I think it's still, that what if is still on the, on, it's still it's, valid. It's still, it's still on the table. On the table. It's still on the <laughs> That's table. all I'm okay. saying. It's still out there. Yeah. yeah. So Master Lin and Seiya are sparring now, having a sparring session. And Master Lin is kicking her ass, which is pretty cool. We haven't really seen Master Lin like do anything yeah. other than just drink tea. Uh, but he's he's kicking he's kicking the shit out of Seiya. And he's giving her a lesson here at the same time, which is really cool. He's explaining to her what becoming friends with the rats taught her. He wants to know. Tell me what it, what it taught you. And what it taught her, as she says, is that, well, she didn't say it, but like through the 
like lesson he's telling uh, what mm-hmm. comes out is that connections and relationships will result in vulnerability and pain and that she should move forward in isolation so this is the first that we get to hear of a method to the madness which is final exam so it sounds like it's a test to purge yourself from dangerous relationships that could make you vulnerable in the future i think i think it's really neat that they actually shed some light on some meaning to final exam rather than just a reason to have like a bloodbath um there was a greater reason for that it was that yeah like look if you're going to be a, become an assassin like you can't really have any any assets friends you can't have friends yeah i i, I liked it i thought it was i thought it was yeah. kind of cool yeah i know it's kind of the start um of a bigger idea that this book presents and that is that you know these kids have been put in this school from their parents or whatever who want to you know take on the family business succeed you know be these assassins but unless you are a sociopath it's going to be a problem for you to kill someone and not everybody in this school is a sociopath so they i like to see the toll it takes on some of these students for actually having to kill someone especially someone they knew whereas someone like you know victor it's not even going to matter but we see saya we see how much it's kind of affecting her um because she seems you know like she's you know down in the dumps so far in this volume and that this is actually this killing of marcus has actually affected her mm-hmm. yeah and there's there's people in, in the school like victor clearly just don't have any attachments to people they, they don't yeah. he doesn't care like he's not going to have any problem with that issue uh saya on the other hand has compassion for people right and she's going to suffer yeah. from from this issue uh now uh, master lin's making it sound like that's um you know a, a problem uh and I, I don't know i mean it's arguable whether that is a problem i guess if you're an assassin maybe that is a problem but i don't know if necessarily having compassion and having like friends is going to be the worst thing for you but i think that's just what it, they're trying to get across is that cut all yeah. ties if this is the life you're going for you need to cut all ties it, none of that matters anymore and you have to accept that yeah it's definitely a problem if you're an assassin if you <laughs> if you can't handle uh if you can't handle killing your friend, then it definitely matters. So this new group of students that have come in um, and seem to be important now are, uh, we've got Zen, Zenzeli or Zenzeel. Uh, I'm going to call her. Right. I was saying, I was saying Zenzeli when I read Zenzeli. it. Zenzeli. I'm just going to call her Zen for now because that, that much we can get right. We have Helmet, Quan, and Tasawi. Those are our new, our new group of kids. Now, we kind of get to see them hanging out and playing a game of D and D and remender drops a remender here. So very similar to the way he explained the mosh pit in an earlier mm. volume, he explains the appeal of D and D. Now Tasawi says he doesn't want to play because it's a kid's game. And helmet says it is not a kid's game. It is a window into who people truly are. The choices they make under pressure. Uh, now, Helmet, he seems to take this game very seriously, um, the D&D, and he tells everyone to, I guess he's the dungeon master, he tells everyone to be ready to do whatever is necessary without hesitation. You are entering 
the borderlands of Cortal the Bloodfucker. So look out. I, I like yeah. I like this because the, like that attitude that Helmet has with D and D, like take it very seriously, do whatever is necessary. Very much parallels what's going on at King's Dominion. So I liked uh, mm, yeah. that they they kind of threw that in there. Um, but we get a really nice art break here. Uh, change in style. We see Zen, Helmet, Quan, and Seiya all drawn as the characters they've chosen to be for the D&D game. I love it, man. Quan is a half-goblin, half-human. Zen is a knight-priestess. Helmet is a dwarf. And Seiya is just Seiya. Just <laughs> she's Seiya. Like not, yeah. She's not into the game. She's not really accepting it. <laughs> they ask Seiya to explain her character... And she says she's Saya the Embarrassed, a tired human. <laughs> love it. I love that. That's I love great. it, man. I love this break right here. I love that we actually get into the D&D game. We get into the characters. I like the whole setup. I like the setup of Helmet. The first time we sort of meet him is at the dance and he is the badass. You know, he reminds me kind of a little bit of Victor just because, you know, he's tough. He's a tough guy. He's into metal. You know, he's... He's he knows what's cool and what's cool is, you know, fuck the man. That's what's cool. And then we get back to the dorm room. They want to hang out and we go back and they're playing D&D. And it's like, yes, like this. This is fun. I think I I haven't played a lot of D&D, but I love seeing anything about D&D. I think it's a fantastic game. I think it is like a very expansive game, very imaginative game. And I, I've, you know, I've played it a couple times and really loved it. So anytime it pops up in a comic and anytime they actually start drawing the comic as the D&D characters, I'm 100% on board. I think that's so cool because that also highlights what it's like to play the game. When you're playing the game, like you're trying to immerse yourself in this different world that you're creating and be this character. You're, there's no talking as yourself when you're playing D&D. You're talking as your character. So I love that we switch in art and I love that we actually get into the game. And it's going to come, it's not even just like it's a one-time thing. It's going to come back later in the volume that D&D matters to this kid. And it's going to help him later on. Mm. Yeah, good point. So the game turns into a philosophical discussion, though. And Tasawi is talking about how he's going to kill the sheriff who killed his dad. Right. And Seiya tells him, you think you'll feel so good when you finally crush the piece of shit that caused you pain. The problem is, once you see another human being suffering, you feel compassion. All you end up feeling is sad, and all you want to do is help them. So that's a clear reference to Marcus there. You know, just the the, the way that things went down with, with him. Yeah, I thought that was interesting for her to say, because that means that she set it up with killing him will be good. Like killing him will be a good thing because he caused me pain. Cause he did like he caused say a pain. She did not like him for the second half of all those books we were reading, you know, for like volumes three and four, they were not friends anymore. And so she's saying that she thought that this would be okay to kill him. Maybe that's what she talked herself into. Maybe she said, you know, I can kill him. He's, he's a, he's a bastard. You know, he, he's messed with me and uh, he's messed with my feelings and it'd be fine if he was gone. And now she's really, really regretting that. So I thought that was an interesting setup for her to say. I was the same thing. I was like, that is clearly Marcus she's talking about. So that's interesting that she said at first, it'll make you, you think it'll make you feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it even went all the way back to just, um, volume one where she 
um, picked yeah. him up for King's Dominion. Just the, she saved him from killing mm. himself because she had um, compassion for him, and by doing that, that kind of threw her life into like a spiral, a downward spiral. So I can't tell if she's regretting killing him in the last volume or if she's regretting even bringing him in in the first place, which just brought everything kind of down for her. But right, either yeah. either way, it's I it's it's about Marcus. For sure. And the way I'm feeling in this book at this point is she is very, very upset about killing him. She's not happy that she killed him, but she also, in the moment of killing him, thought that that was 100% the right thing to do. And now she's feeling the remorse later. Right. Yeah, exactly. So then there's a knock at the at the door, and one of Master Lin's hooded men brings in a small box with the bones of a rat in it. They ask Saya if she knows what this means, like the, the crew asks Saya. And she looks sad and says no. Yeah. So she does know what it is, though. And we also know what it is. That means that that one of them in the room is a rat, which seems like it seems very early for one of them to already be a rat. Right. And isn't it Zen? Isn't it given to Zen? I don't know who it's given to. I don't think it matters who it's given to. I think it... Or, oh. or does it matter who it's given to? I was just assuming it was Zen because it was given to her. She opened it and she is also um, she is also like Saya's new pledge, right? Master Lin has said, that's your new pledge. So I wonder if he's trying to like teach her again, trying to be like, okay, here, this is the person who you're going to get close to. And when it comes time for final exam, you're going to kill her again. Like you're going to kill the next, mm. the next rat. Inter- that's what I thought again. Again, I don't know because some I'm not sure. I think the guy just comes and delivers it. Like, I don't know if he says a name. I can't really well, remember. No, he doesn't say a name. I kind of do. You, do you remember if she answered the door? Like, could he have she just, answered the door? OK, so I, I, I'm, I feel like he may have handed it to her because she answered the door. Interesting. Because yeah. I'm going to spoiler alert something here. But we yeah, know. we know there's a rat in that room. Yeah, it's just, it's another thing, Tim, that you're bringing up that, like, when I read it, I just made an assumption. And I think that's the way it's written. I think it's written for me to make an assumption that it's Zen, so that it throws me off for later. But you're right. No one, no name is said. It's just handed to someone in the room. And whose room were we actually at? Uh. I don't remember. We could have been Helmet's room. I think it might have been Helmet's room. So I was, I was wondering if that had to do with it too, if it was delivered to the room of who oh, it is. Maybe. But yeah, it's yeah, definitely yeah. not Zen's room. No, that's room. a great she point though. the door. It's a great point. It could have been delivered to the room. Yeah. Um, the things get a little bit fun here as Victor is walking the halls, talking his tough Victor talk, and Helmet sees him coming and trips him on purpose. Love it. Kind of the last last guy you might want to trip in the school. Yep, you're like, but what he, the he hell are it? you doing? Obviously, you don't know anything about this school. Yeah, and then he calls Victor a clumsy KGB asshole. Yep, I kind of, I'm kind of liking it, dude. I, I honestly, 100. When I read that, I said to myself, "Oh shit!" Like, "Oh no, yeah. oh shit!" No, you didn't. And then the very next word bubble I read is a student there saying, "Oh shit." I got, I got remembered. It's you, Tim. I got, re- I got remembered. You got remembered. He knows how to make you say something yeah. in your head when you read something. And then he puts it on the page. Cause he's like, yeah, I know what you're about to say in this situation because I'm like in control of your emotions in this book. And 
I, yeah. I love when I love when that happens. That's not the first time in this series that I've said something out loud, well, or in my head, and then I read it on the next panel. Like someone else is just saying it. It's so totally, cool. and it's just it's just like no shock that he is able to make us just like love these new characters because of things like that. Like he knows how we're going to react to something, so he knows like he knows with if he writes it this way, we're going to end up liking this person. Right. Yeah. How can you not like, like Helmet after this? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. You get you get D and you so you get the beginning in the in the dance, and you're like, okay, I kind of get a vibe of this guy, not a guy I would hang out with. And then you get into like more and more layers of him unravel as we go along. And it's like, oh, you know what? This guy's kind of awesome. This guy's kind of the best. Yes. So you get the D&D. Now you get him tripping. You're going to get some stuff later. And you're like, I kind of love this guy. This guy's awesome. Well, they start him off nerdy, right? They start him off yeah. as this nerd. But he's more than that, right? Yeah. He's probably the bat, the most badass nerd uh, you could ever imagine. Uh, and yeah. I, I, I mean, like... He gets the award for best new character, I think. Oh, dude, 100%. Like, hands I mean, down. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I loved him so much. So much. I really also like that they decided to bring in someone who can compete on a physical level with Victor. Um, that's a new element to the story that I yeah. really like. Victor is no longer the physical alpha male. There's competition. I think that's fun. Yeah, totally. And I would actually say at this point, we don't really know that yet. We just know that he's got the backbone. He's He knows he's going to trip Victor and he's going to stand up to him when he gets up and he's going to say, I'm going to beat you up anytime, anywhere. But we don't actually know yet what he can do. What he's doing right there reminds me of what Marcus did, how Marcus stood yeah. up to Victor. And Marcus is just a fragment of the size of Helmet. So what I'm feeling like is, yes, this Helmet guy um, he's got like the rage of Marcus, yeah. but he's also got the size to compete. Now, when I say he's got the size, he's still like way like shorter, shorter. His yeah. forehead comes up to Victor's chin because Victor's so yeah. huge, but he is like a big dude and yeah. uh, very fiery and is just ready to mess with Victor, the alpha male. So totally. it's a lot yeah. of fun. It is. Yeah, it's really fun. So it's Halloween now. And the, uh, the the crew of the new school, they want to go out and have some fun, Dean. So they head to a bar that Quan says he knows they'll be able to sneak into because they won't be checking IDs. And Saya ends up following them because she wants to bring Zen back to the school. She doesn't want Zen to get in trouble. Um, she's trying to like kind of make up for maybe what happened with Marcus. She doesn't want it to go wrong all yeah. again. Um, she also doesn't want to look bad. You know, she's kind of failed her first um, pledge and she doesn't want to fail the second one. But at the bar, someone calls out to Saya and it's one of her brother's goons. They somehow knew that she'd be there. It was, it was interesting. Like, I felt like when they called her name, she had a real look of fear in her eye. It, mm, it was yeah. a, it was a look. I don't know if it was, I think it was fear. If it wasn't, it was a look that we've never seen her show before. Yeah. I feel like even when she walked up to the table and said like, what are you guys doing here? This is a very dangerous place. I could already sort of sense, even though like, I don't hear her tone. I'm just reading it. I could sense that this is legitimately a dangerous place and they need to get out of here. Yeah. And uh, what ends up happening though, is these goons move in to try to grab her and obviously a fight breaks out. Yeah. Uh, Quan immediately takes off. He's just, he yeah. runs, he runs out, he runs away. Helmet 
pulls out a wicked badass axe yeah, and man. just starts hacking dudes up. Like, Unbelievable. it's no like, problem. Destroying everyone. This is like supposed to be like a 15 year old kid or something. And this bar is supposed to be dangerous. And I'm like, oh shit, these kids are in trouble. And he just starts hacking people up. He just takes it to everybody. Yeah. There's like six on one and he's handling them all. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Saya is finding the same success, uh, just killing dudes left and right. Mm-hmm. And this is a really funny scene because it's Halloween. So a lot of the dudes yeah. they're fighting and killing are dressed up in costumes. Amazing. A it's great, amazing. Just a great little addition. Yeah. To, to it. It just makes it so fun. Exactly. It's yeah. just, just it gives us a little bit, a little thing to laugh at. So yeah. Uh, Saya, she kills someone dressed up in a Tron outfit. Um, there's a gorilla, like somebody in a gorilla suit. Uh, that's nice. how I caught on to it. I was just reading the page because the whole Halloween, we're going out for Halloween thing kind of slipped my mind. And yeah. then as Say is killing people, there's a gorilla. And I'm like, where the <laughs> fuck did a gorilla come from? And I was like, what is this about? And I was like, oh, oh, the gorilla is standing beside Mario from Mario Brothers. And, oh, right, everybody's yeah. in costume. So she's killing all these costume people. It's very, very funny. I loved it. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, Saya is about to escape when the Kamiga brothers reveal themselves to her. Ooh. They call themselves children of the crocodile god, born of one golden egg, chasers of thunder, keepers of fire. I'm going to describe these two guys for the listeners. They are two completely massive dudes huge in their underpants wearing kabuki masks right yeah <laughs> i really i don't really get these guys Tim. i really loved this next part it was just yes so i think this strange. is the part where i was like do i get these guys i don't think i get these i don't guys. think you can get these guys so yeah <laughs> well i mean what we're all thinking is like uh-oh say has got to fight these two dudes now but yeah. <laughs> one of the dudes bottles the other dude to make him fall to the ground on all fours so that he can use him as a platform to jump off of to get like a higher attack or something like that. It's so strange, but it's just like, did that just happen? Is that for I, real? I had to go back and read it a bunch of times. I'm like, okay, so I think I get it. I just think they're not really definitely tag team partners. They're just like, whatever, do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Like he bottled the other guy so he could step on his back. Why didn't he just be like, get down on all fours so I can jump on your right, back? Because that's not as much fun. I was going to say they definitely like to have fun. <laughs> now, these are apparently the cousins of Saya. Right, yeah. They tell Saya that brother and mother want her home, but first they want her broken. Oh, shit. Yikes. So those two and Saya start fighting. And Zen is there with Seiya, and she's just frozen in fear. She's hugging a lamp, oh, yeah. hugging a lamppost or something. Seiya's like doing pretty good, but these guys are they're they're fighting back as well. Well, and Tim, I will say, I just want to say at this yeah. time, we had a little scene of Zen writing in her like diary, and we get the sense that you know she's at this school because she needs to protect somebody back home maybe her mom and dad she needs to protect somebody but she doesn't quite fit in and like like she's not sure she can do it she's not sure she's failing all her courses she's not good at them and she's not sure she has the edge for it and then once the fighting starts she's in the corner crying so right right off the bat i'm like okay you know what 
yeah, not she's not up for this. She's not ready for what the school has to offer, but she's here because she needs to protect someone, so she wants to learn. That's what I'm getting at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great synopsis of it. Yeah. Yeah. So she she can't she can't do anything. She's just frozen there until yeah. she sees one of the cousins kill an innocent man. This guy just grabs this innocent guy by the throat, pulls him out of a car and crushes his throat and kills him. Yeah. And then Zen goes into full-on rage mode and full kills both of these dudes with a sledgehammer. By herself. By herself in no time. Just like, okay, just turns it on. It's like, okay, now these guys are dead. Boom, boom. And she's smashed their faces in. Goes from like the lowest status to the highest status in just seconds. It's like as soon as she saw that innocent person die, the rage went on. Destroyed them. Hammers to the face. It was shocking to see because we've seen her do nothing and be afraid. And all of a sudden, these violent kills. Yeah. She just pulls out these violent kills. Yeah. If anyone was going to use a hammer, I thought it'd be helmet. Right, That's Tim? right. That's right. Yeah, for Little sure. Thor looking type dude. He's there. got the, he wears a Thor helmet with the ears. Yeah. I know. He's yeah. got the Thor but, vibe going on. But Dean, uh, I appreciate that he used the axe because sure. maybe he's not yet worthy to oh, wield the hammer yeah that's what he, he that's is only in year one wield. he's yep. in year one yep. so he just has yarn bjorn with him he doesn't have mjolnir <laughs> yet exactly <laughs> it doesn't seem like he needs mjolnir <laughs> no he's fine he's fine with yarn bjorn speaking of helmet dean he's standing on a pile of dead bodies fighting and killing more as they come at him unbelievable man this guy's the best this guy's the best now there was a really interesting uh um page here uh art wise i thought there's some panels um at the bottom of the page where there should have been like regular rectangular panels they were triangular almost as Mm. if the panel had exploded or like cracked like glass into shards but the shards still had drawings that were progressing the story along Uh, i don't know if i've ever seen anything quite like that it was very very cool very cool, yeah. I I I have seen cracked panels like that and shards, but it's still making up an entire picture. Yeah. This was really neat, where it was. It was multiple pictures, yeah. though. It was like a couple try a couple shards had like um, maybe helmet fighting, and then a couple other shards were the guys yeah. he's killing. It was a really nice progression of story through like sh- triangular shards. It was very very it was really cool, very very smart. I really appreciated yeah. that. Now, Quan comes back to help out his friend. Stand up, dude, hey, Quan. Runs away, but he came back. He came back. Yeah, this this felt like, this did feel like a stand-up moment because when he was fleeing, there was this big, um, you know, there's there's this this dialogue boxes, or, or I guess it wasn't really, it was whoever's, is narration boxes, whoever's telling the story, was telling um, how Quan learned from his father to run from any, any spot where you're outmatched there's right. no reason to be a hero and fight you should flee if you're outmatched if you know you're going to lose flee and then you get to live and so he ran away and then so it did feel a little bit of a heroic moment when he came back because it's like okay well he is actually trying to be a hero he wants to help his friends out so i i felt this was points for Quan right now yeah for sure he comes back he gets in on the killing although he's um really not as capable as helmet he he struggles to get even one kill. He's kind of like yeah. in a fight where the guy gets one kill. And then um, uh, Helmet and Quan have to take off. They have to run away. 
they get cornered eventually and surrounded, but Seiya and Zen show up to help out. And all four of them jump off the rooftop that they're on onto the building across the street. Yeah. But Quan falls short. But Seiya is able to grab him, kind of holding him on the edge of the building. She yeah. tells Helmet and Zen to keep running so that they can they can be safe. And Seiya is able to pull Quan up on the roof where Quan reveals to us that he is a double agent. Mm-hmm. When he stabs Seiya twice in the stomach, takes yeah. her sword and kicks her off the roof and Seiya falls through a glass roof below. Yeah, like a skylight into a pool type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It goes through the glass, lands in a pool. Yeah. Uh, that was very unexpected. It was super unexpected. I did not see it coming at all. And now that we run, now that we're kind of running through the plot a bit, you're mentioning some things and it's like, why didn't I see this coming? Why didn't I see Quan? It's everything was his idea. He was obsessed with Seiya. He was always talking about Seiya. But he's also set up as sort of the charismatic character, like the one that can just talk his way into anything, you know, be friends with anybody, has all the confidence in the world. So that's why I'm just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, he's that guy. He's that guy that can get you into that club because he can just talk his way in. Who cares? He doesn't even care if it's dangerous. He just wants to have fun. And it's like, no, he got into that club because that club was filled with people trying to kill Seiya. So they said, bring them here, like exactly. get, come here and show like, I just don't even think of those things while I'm reading, but it's all so clear and laid out. But that character is supposed to be the charismatic character. And he won me over. Like he tricked me too, who with it all right in front of my face. And that's, that's who I'm alluding to um, with the rat in the box. Yeah. He was in the room. I, I feel like that rat in the box was for him because he's clearly, shown to us later as a rat so i get it and i'm i'm wondering why then it was handed to zen i'm like i almost want to go back no, to the scene i, th- and I think you're look. right because i think the room belongs to Quan and helmet i think they're roommates that guy comes to the room and he hands the person a box yeah i think you might be right there because i think he did say to Seiya when he was offering want to come back to like my room because we're going to be playing D. it's very possible dean that zen is a rat that we haven't learned about yet. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think this was, I think this was an opportunity for them to show us uh, how intelligent master Lin is that even before we know what's going on, he already knows who the rat is and what their plan is. And he's already sent, you know, this message that, yeah, you're the rat. I know that. So watch out, you know, during final exam. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So we're in the last issue now, and we go to Fernley, Nevada. Now, things start to get real wild here. Uh, I'm only a few pages into the last issue, and I can tell something huge is going on. There's just some, I'm getting some weird vibe. There's some weird energy. It sounds crazy that you could like get a weird energy from a comic, but I was getting it. I was just like, what is... It's just something seemed off. Something seemed different from everything we've seen before. And it's 100% true, Tim. It is, it is some strange energy. I felt it too. I, I'm trying to think what exactly it could be, but it feels like, it feels like it's the beginning of 
like some sort of heist movie or something and you were just kind of thrown into the middle of it. Like, I feel like I was thrown into the middle of something big here. Like it isn't starting here. It's in the middle right, right now. Yeah, and right, I need right. to try to like, I need to catch up. So that's why I get that sort of rush feeling like, okay, something's going on here. I don't know about, and I need to get with it. And it was, it was just really interesting the way they kind of build it up. Um, you've got a couple plumbers who, who are brought into this mansion I immediately get the feeling that this is a drug lord mansion because it's just, it's huge. I just get that vibe. And the plumbers are in full hazmat suits. They come in because a dude's toilet has exploded. It's not just backed up. It's exploded. There's shit all over the floor. It's a mess. Everywhere, man. Everywhere. One of the plumbers kind of like bends over to look in the toilet and finds a wire. uh, And it looks like maybe an explosion was set off. It looks like someone exploded that toilet, not just it exploded. Now, the other plumber clubs that plumber with a pipe, and that plumber who uh, had the pipe, he starts killing the armed guards in the house, and he's using, like, smart tricks. He's, like, hiding behind things. He's popping out. Um, He's using stealth. He's got a couple of guns, and he's using poison. So... Yeah. It's interesting. It is. And I want to say the energy is built right now because he's wearing a mask and you're like, he or she is wearing a mask and you're like, who could be behind this mask that when they take off their mask, this would be a big deal. So I'm trying to think like, okay, who could actually be behind this mask? Because otherwise they wouldn't have a mask on for most of this. And I couldn't quite put my finger on who exactly it could be. I was feeling like new story, like they were opening up a new story um, okay, to, yeah. to close the volume on was, was my thoughts. We might get okay, it. I was really thinking that it was somebody like, so what I actually thought it was, it was someone going after Saya. Okay. I thought, who's coming now to save Saya? Like what, who would be doing this where I would be getting like really pumped and you need to like, mm. you need to put a mask on their face. You right. know, is it one of the new kids? Couldn't be one of the new kids. So I'm trying to run my head through the old kids. Like, what is the old, everyone else is dead. Like, who could it possibly be? Yeah, I think I got the same vibe as you. And that's kind of why yeah. my brain went to like a new character. I think they're, I felt like they were setting up. They're going to show us what this person can do, um, how yeah. cool this person is. And then that person maybe is going to get enrolled, like a late enrollment in the school or something like that. And this person is kicking ass, like oh, yeah. absolutely amazing, like great action, destroying everybody destroying these people who are trained to be here and protect yeah so next we see a girl tied up and being tortured with electricity but we can't see her face we just see the long hair she's got her obviously her head slumped down the plumber doesn't look like saya doesn't look like saya to me like so i was assuming this was saya yeah and as soon as we get to the girl chained up i'm like i don't think that's saya it's only saya if it takes place you know, like a few months from what we just yeah. saw because the hair is too long. The hair is so long. Yeah, it's, the hair is so long. Yeah. Now, the plumber runs in, attaches the prongs to the dude who's doing the torture and fries him. Yes, and what a way to make us hate a character in two pages. Oh. I don't think I've ever hated a character more in two pages than I did this guy. <laughs> yeah, he was just a piece of shit. This guy, yeah, this guy who got the prongs stuck to him, who was the one doing the electricity, like... I don't know how how Remender does it, but I hated this guy with a passion in yeah. like two pages. Yeah, I think he got one of the prongs to his throat and the other one to his yep. balls. 
Oh, so yeah. That was well a deserved. Good way. A good way to finish <laughs> yeah. him off. Shocker moment here. We see that the girl is Maria. Totally forgot Maria could be alive somewhere. Maria is alive. Maria is back. I'm just like, yes. dude, I'm fist pumping to totally. get Maria back. Maria is so awesome. I love her. Maria's awesome. We love Maria. I totally forgot she could even be alive because she just disappeared. Yeah. Like, that's all that happened. That's all the story said. I wasn't even thinking that she could be alive. So she's been gone and being tortured this whole yeah. time. That's the saddest part. Every day, she's getting yeah. tortured on that rack. Yeah. And he, the guy who was torturing her, was basically trying to get her to beg for like a five-minute break. Yeah. So this has been this type of shit every single minute. Yeah. So we see Chico's brother and mother are the ones running the show here. Similar to what we saw a couple volumes back when they showed up at uh, King's Dominion and got Maria from Master Lin. Yeah. They are upset about um, El Alma del Diablo being killed. They're upset about Chico being killed. This is their revenge. Now, Maria leaps out of a closet, surprises mother, and cuts her into pieces. Pieces. Cuts off her head cuts off her arm cuts off her leg and slashes her in the stomach <laughs> so man. yeah i get it she's been being tortured all this time i get it um yeah. brother has a minigun starts unloading towards maria maria grabs mother's head and runs off maria crashes through the window of the house and is running towards the plumbing van when the back door of the van is kicked open and we see Marcus yeah. dressed in the plumbing gear with the mask off. And he's holding a bazooka. Fucking amazing. Holy shit. It's amazing. Holy shit. And like this should sometimes feel cheap. It should sometimes feel like I was cheated out of being so sad about him dying. But it doesn't at all. And why it doesn't is because... They took the time in this volume to build other characters and get us to like other characters and show us that there's more to these characters at school. Like, it's not just the same old kind of misfit group you were dealing with before. Like, these are different types of characters. And then at that moment, when we finally accepted them all, it's like, okay, now, now's the perfect time. Right when you forgot about Marcus is when we bring him back. And they bring back Marcus, and I could not be happier in this moment. Dude, I'm so excited. I can't remember what I felt the first time. I probably cried. I'm not even I'm not even going like, to yeah. joke about it. I pro- there were probably tears in my eyes for how yeah, excellent this storytelling was. To bring those two characters back the way they did, um, it was so satisfying. And I'm with you. Kill someone, don't bring them back. You don't need that. But it was done in yeah. such a way. I just and, and you want those characters back. Maria was gone so early. And then Marcus, like what 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 the hell? You're gonna kill Marcus off? Like he's the main yeah. dude. Like you can't do that. And when you bring them back, sometimes it feels like, oh, you just played with my emotions, killing them. You just wanted to make me sad. And that's why you had that moment of killing them. But it doesn't feel like that because of the rest of this volume, how the rest of this volume is laid out. It only feels exciting. It only feels like, uh, hell yeah, now we have Marie and Marcus back together. Like, this is all we wanted, this power couple back together. We love both of them. Marcus kicks ass in in this house. Like, this is not skills Marcus had before. He did not kick this much ass before. So I don't know what exactly happened in this time, but he was incredible in this house. He got killed in this time. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Well, he got killed. Yes. He's so back maybe from he the hit dead. training, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. Um, I, I love it because I want these characters back. That That's the thing too. Mm-hmm. I love the new characters. I love the old characters. I'm okay if Marcus and Maria are gone, but at the same time, they're such great characters. I want to see them back. I want their dynamic back in what we're reading right now. So that's, yes. it just fits. It fits. Give it to us. And now I like these new characters and now I have Marcus yes, and Maria back as well. So, so it's like, now it's just great. It's, it's so only, great. Yeah, it's, it's only great. so great. So Marcus shoots the bazooka and the shell goes right into Chico's brother, like through his stomach and sticks in him. Yeah. Then it blows up the entire mansion. Yeah. And Maria is just like looking catatonic uh, and, and dumbfounded. And she says, dead, finally dead. There's like no punctuation to what she's saying. So I can't really even right. tell what her emotion is. I don't know. It's just like terror. I think it's still terror. She, yeah. She's like finally free and she doesn't really know how to deal with that. Yeah. Um. She turns to Marcus and says, you, you came. And Marcus says, you told me once that you couldn't count on anyone to be there for you. I'm here. And then they kiss. And it ends. Yes. And at this point, I'm like, okay, just give me uh, 60 issues of Marcus and Maria. That's all I want. <laughs> just give me give me their side story. Give me everything. Them two just kicking ass. That's all I want. Is that the first Great. happy ending we've gotten out of this uh, series? Uh, maybe. Maybe. That is actually, yeah, a pretty happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that was that was really nice. I, I loved it. Very different volume. But... Yeah. Uh, that's what uh, that's what this guy that's what this guy Remender and his team are good at. Yeah, it's creating these different stories, this variety of stories. You might, you know, you might think you know what to expect in this story with this school and these assassin kids. You might think that you know what's coming. You never know what's coming next in this book. It's no. just so much fun to just read it and to keep going. Yeah, man, I absolutely never know what's next. I'm never really trying to guess what's next, but sometimes like when I'm reading, like when I'm reading this last chapter with the person in the mask, I'm like, okay, who could this be in the mask? Who are they going to save? It'd be cool to, you know, think about all the options that it could be. And I'm never thinking it's Marcus going to save Maria, which is amazing. Like, it's amazing that I'm not thinking that because I have just forgotten. It's been just enough time that I've forgotten about that possibility. And it just, oh man, it's, it's so good. This volume's so good. This is another volume that I hadn't read any of the comics from and didn't exactly know going into it if I was going to, you know, what's going to happen now that Marcus is gone? Like, am I really going to enjoy it? And man, did I enjoy this volume so much. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So covers. Yes. I got it pulled up. I remembered (laughs) both of our brains are working tonight. We did it. We did it, man. This is a huge success that we both remembered covers. All right, Dean, what do you got? Best cover, volume uh, five. I like the first one. I like issue 22. Okay. Um, because it is very, very similar to the first issue of Deadly Class. It's the same kind of vibe, same kind of tone, except it's got the new kids in it. It's got, and it says new class. It's kind of new is spray painted over Deadly Class. And you got all your new characters kind of in the background. And then you got Seiya right at the front looking very sad and bones underneath the ground buried. And in the very first um, issue, there's bones underneath the ground, and that doesn't quite mean anything 
when we read that and when we look at that cover. But looking at this cover on the stand and seeing Seiya down on her knees and bones under the ground, we know what it means now. We know that she killed Marcus and she's feeling maybe maybe like sad about that, hurt about that, not really coming to terms with that because there are those bones underground. I mean, we know that now we know she didn't, but she probably doesn't know that. And at that time when we pick up that first volume or when we pick up that first issue, we would think that he's dead. So I really like that cover. Yeah, good call. That was um, that was close for me. It was very close. I ended up going with 26, which was the last mm. one. And it's got a picture yeah. of um, Marcus in the plumber suit. And again, I just went with like, what's jumping off the shelf at me? And it was, yeah. it was this. Um, it's this like weird looking character. Like normally all the covers are characters we know, right? <clears throat> this one, it turns out that we do know this character, but this character is in costume. And the, the fucking plumber suit looks so crazy. It looks so yeah. creepy and weird. Um, cause he's got a full mask on. He's got these red goggles. Uh, he's pointing two guns at us and he's standing knee deep in liquid, like water, which yeah. is like most likely poop, poop and pee. Cause he's the plumber. <laughs> yep. and that's what he ran into. <laughs> and I just think like, if I was following along up to this point, I'd look at that one and I'd be like, what is, who is that? Like, what is going to happen in yeah. this issue? Cause I don't know. I've never seen a character like this before. So. That one just jumped out a little bit more for me, so I'm I'm going with that one. Twenty six. That yeah, that's a really great call, Tim, because I think like so he's wearing like this gas mask, and I think a gas mask is like a action uh action director or horror director's like biggest tool because they look scary and they look intense and they're just like masks to protect you from gas, but like they look weird. And if we were going, if I was going in every single month buying this comic and I went in for this one and I saw this on, on the stands, I'd be like, who the hell is this? What is this issue going to be about? And I would, I would pick that up and I would read this thing first because of this cover. I think that's a great choice. All right. It's time for what if then. Cool. So, Dean, I really don't like what they did with Petra in this book. Mm. My what if is, what if she's working undercover? What if this was just a way for her to protect herself after her actions in the previous volume, and this is her way in and her way to survive? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out um, all the things about Petra in this comic. So she's like, she's basically at the table with everybody, like with all the... Uh, Shabnam and uh, Victor, everyone who is like top of the class now, all the people running the school, she's at that table. Um, you've got you've got Shabnam, you've got Drogda, Stephen is there, Victor's there. Um, Petra makes her way in like halfway through, I think, and yeah. then there's one of the girls from the Dixie Mob is there as well. Right, true, yeah, okay. Petra had like such a 180 degree turn of character. Yeah. And for a character I really, really appreciated, she did nothing in this in this volume. And it seemed off. It's, it's, it almost seemed like yeah. they wrote her out of the book without writing her out of the book. Yeah. So I like your idea here of what could be going on with her. Because here's the thing. 
while Seiya I can totally buy is not coming to terms with her killing Marcus, Petra, I feel like she kind of liked it. Like, after she, you know, gassed out Billy, she watched the life leave his eyes. Yeah. Because, you know, she was taught that. And I, I don't think somebody who would do that would then all of a sudden be so horrified by it. Like, you would... I feel like her character was is one of those sort of sociopaths who's kind of okay with doing what she needs to do to get by. And yeah, she had this big switch, wasn't even a character anymore. It seemed kind of funny. It seemed kind of funny that she was so different, but that wasn't really in line with her character. Yeah, I like it. I, I, I think that that could definitely be... It could definitely be a possibility that happens. She could all of a sudden make that flip back because, yeah, she's so she's so fake now. And and she's talking about being so real now, which is so weird. So if that's the case, what, what could she do, like, from the inside? Yeah, so what is the... Would be her... What is the gain here for her? Because who does she... Other than just surviving, which is, is a possibility that, you know, she was on the wrong side of, you know, of the fence. And I understand that... The whole idea is that if you're a rat, but you make it through the week, then you're yeah. brought back. So she's brought right. back. She isn't in any danger, right? Like nobody's no. going to kill her because she's she's been welcomed back. But they probably don't look upon her all that favorably for, for what she's she did. She's also probably not too jacked about this rat idea because she was part of it. So she was supposed to die. She was hunted, but she did what she had to do to get out of that. So maybe she's trying to get her way to Master Lin. Maybe she's just trying to get her way to Shabnam. Um, but, yeah, like I another, don't think she had... Go ahead. I was going to say another thing in the book that we didn't really touch on is that Shabnam and the council uh, want to kill Seiya because Shabnam sees her as his competition. So even though Seiya is, is not a rat, she has no reason to be killed. So there's no reason that Petra should feel safe either. Right. Yeah. There's yeah, there's also an interesting moment in the in the student council where Shabnam kinda suggests that Petra kill Seiya. And then Victor's like, No way, like I'm gonna do it. I'm Victor, I'm big and tough. He leaves. Shabnam is like, Oh great, like that's uh that's exactly what we wanted to happen. We wanted him to think it's his idea. And then we go to Victor in the hall and Victor's like I just put on a show there so they would think I want this really bad, but like I I know what I'm doing. Like so we get a point of Victor being really smart and outsmarting the council, which is really cool. I think the same that could be, be even shedding light that the same thing is happening with Petra. She's pretending to be this fake person, but she's actually she's doing a better job of this than we think. Just like they showed us Victor was. We thought Victor definitely exploded in that meeting and that's why he's the one going to kill Seiya, but it actually turned out that it wasn't and he knew what was going on. So I think it could be. It could be that Petra knows exactly what she's doing. I'm not necessarily sure I know what it could be that she's trying to get at other than number one, kill like kill Master Lin because this rat shit was stupid because she was supposed to die. She was supposed to be killed because of this rat game. So go to the top guy who makes those rules. That's all I can really think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and maybe I, a long a long game like that needs that type of disguise to start with. Like she could never get there as 
coming back as Petra as she was, she would never be able to get her way to Master Lin, but maybe this way she can. Yeah. I'm curious to see what they do with her because I didn't like what they did in this volume, but all right, man, we did it again. Cool. Great volume. I, I love that one again. I can't wait till, you know, till we cover the next one. This is cool. Yep. Dean, thanks for joining. Yeah, man. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. If you're looking for additional content from Talking Back, sign up for our monthly newsletter. We'll be doing monthly wrap-ups, sneak peeks, we'll show you some behind-the-scenes stuff, we'll be sharing recommendations, and who knows what else is going to go on. Find a link to the sign-up form in the bio of any of our social media accounts, or feel free to reach out to Tim or Dean and we'll set you up. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod, or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.